Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. Well, if you have a Bible, you're, if you were following along, you're already at the sermon text for this morning. We're going to look just at one verse in the passage that we just read. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. I'll read it for us again now. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Most gracious Father, as we come to this simple but profound verse announcing the birth of Jesus, I ask that you would strengthen me by your Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ, apart from whom I cannot preach to any effect, that all of us hearing your word proclaimed might be strengthened in our faith to glorify the one of whose birth we hear. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, as I come to this passage, I want to offer a few caveats before we get into this passage. Because if you've been following along in political happenings and theological happenings this week in our nation, you've heard some interesting news of certain people being invited to share Christmas messages in churches. And if you listened to what was said, while there were some true statements that were made, while there was a a glorious admission that he was not the Savior that is needed, there were also a number of tragic statements that were made in the name of Christ. And so I say this to give these caveats. I didn't pick this passage or even write this sermon in response to that. I sent all of the, the, the liturgies from, uh, for, for several weeks up through next week to Sabrina all the way back on December 9th. I picked this passage because as I prayed through what the Spirit would have me preach in His providence, this is what I was burdened to preach. Just this verse. And I'm not trying to overly spiritualize or or claim things for myself that I shouldn't claim, but it confused me because you know my least favorite thing is to take a single verse out of the context of a greater narrative and drum up some sermon from that. And as I reflected on this verse in the weeks leading up, because I knew I would be out of town this past week. So I tried to work ahead a little bit. I kept seeing a number of of political emphases in this verse. And then the events of this past week unfolded. And so I wanted you to know that I'm not preaching as a newspaper prophet in response to headlines. I want you to know that that things political will be said. 
And I want you to know that I'm saying these things because we have a profound problem in our nation, which I'll say I love, but we have a profound problem of having confused love for Christ with love for America and freedoms and other things. Such that in that message, it could be said that to believe in Jesus is to believe in our country. And I want you to know also that I'm not preaching this in response to that because I think that anyone here would have gathered in joyously and and announced and chanted USA, USA in response to the gospel. This isn't me getting on to anybody here. Rather, I'm preaching this sermon that God, by His Spirit, has directed me to. That we might be able to give the true reason for the true hope that is within. That has everything to do with Jesus and everything to do with the kingdom of God. And precious little to do with the prospering of any earthly nation. And we see that in this verse. So as we work through this, there's going to be seven points from one verse. And essentially, each clause is a glorious point about the gospel in Luke 2:11. So let's jump in. For unto you, point number 1. We must remember that Christ came for a reason. And it wasn't a reason that would be defined in the future. It wasn't a reason that would be defined in the future by who would or wouldn't believe. Christ came to save a particular people that his father had given to him before the foundations of the world. So when we read, unto you is born this day, Yes, they are talking particularly, the angels are talking particularly to the, to the shepherds, saying to you, this has been given. But there's buried in this statement, this glorious theological truth that we see in the high priestly prayer of John 17, that we see in that glorious passage of the sovereignty of God in Ephesians 1, there's this glorious truth that Christ came for a purpose to save his people. That the angels could say, unto you he has come. That Christ was given to his people because his people had already been given to him. He came for us. 
And while, yes, we, we, we remember that, that the gospel isn't about us, it's about Jesus, it's about what he did, his perfect life, his humiliating birth and life and death, his satisfaction of the law on our behalf, his death in our place, his victorious resurrection. The gospel is about him, but it's for us. Because we're the ones who need it. It's about Christ. It's about the glory of God. But it's for us. Unto you. Unto us is born a Savior. Unto you is born. Here we have this simple statement of the humanity of Christ. That the Son of God took on the true nature of man with a reasonable soul and and, and all of the, the, the realities of a human body, that He was fully man, God in the flesh, that He might save those who were in the flesh. Gregory of Nazianzus, an ancient theologian, came up with the statement in all of the Trinitarian debates, and I get it, there's questions about exactly what he meant, but he said the unassumed is the unredeemed. And what he meant by that was that anything in us that Jesus didn't take on can't be redeemed. It can't be healed. It can't be made right. And he was making this statement in the context and in the midst of the questions of was Jesus fully man or was he just kind of pretending to be man? Did he just seem like man? And the answer of Scripture and the answer of the church down through the ages is no, no, no. He took on all that we are, yet without sin that he might redeem all that we are from sin. He was born. He was born with all the weakness of flesh. God Almighty humbling himself to be born of man that he might save man. We forget that. But it's vital to our theology. It's vital to our theology because as we've already said, he had to be like us to save us. But it's vital to our theology and to our doctrine of sanctification and and thinking about the Christian life because in being like us, he can sympathize with us in our weakness. As the author of Hebrews says, yes, he was without sin, but he didn't live in this world apart from the effects of sin. And that is vital to remember. 
all the weaknesses that we endure, all the infirmities of our bodies, all of the the pressing down of, of the sinful world that we feel, all of this Jesus can identify with because he came in the flesh and was made like us and can sympathize with us in our weakness. So the author of Hebrews says, we don't need to go back again and again to to the basic and elementary doctrines, but we need to push on to that reality that the one we run to is Jesus Christ because he was made like us and can sympathize with us and can help us and can give mercy in need. For unto us is born. This day, the angels came announcing to the shepherds not just a theological idea, not just some philosophical postulate, that the angels came and announced to the shepherds that something real had happened that day at a specific time in history, that they could go and see it. It has happened. This is one of the keys of Christianity, that God came into the world in real time, in real history, as a human to save us. This is what we claim as Christians. That this gospel that we announce is something that actually happened. That the God of all creation really did take on flesh at a particular time in history to save his people from all ages. The gospel is a theological claim, but it is also a historical claim. And that separates it from virtually every other religion or system or worldview. We're claiming that God broke into history to come for us. That there really was a baby that was born who after eight days was named Jesus and who lived sinlessly for around 30 years and was crucified on a Roman cross and rose in victory over sin and death and ascended to his Father, and will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. These are historical events that have taken place and will take place. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. This is hardly a mere geographical reference to the place of his birth. It is at least that. It is at least the announcement that Jesus was born in this ancient city called Bethlehem, the the city of David, the city where, where David was born. It is at least that. But packed into that simple geographical reference 
is a shockingly rich theology that must shape our understanding of what Christianity is and of who Christ is. For he is the one who came in fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He is the true and better David. He is the seed of David who will reign forever on the throne of David. He is the king whose kingdom will have no end. He is the victorious savior of creation. He is the one who will establish for all time the kingdom of God. And that is why he came. He is the one, as we read in Psalm chapter 2, he is the one that the psalmist said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We must say, we must remind ourselves that he is the one who came not to establish any particular earthly nation, who came not to establish to pick his favorite of the nations and exalt them, but to establish the kingdom of God and shatter the nations of this earth with a rod of iron. This is important for us to remember because it teaches us precisely where to place our hope. Our hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ for the establishment of the kingdom of God. And anything else in which we place our hope is a reduction, a shameful reduction of what the son of David came to do in fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He came to establish the kingdom of God that cannot be shaken. And that, my friends, is what we have received, even as we read earlier. Let us rejoice then for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what the gospel works in us. Not despair that the nation in which we live might crumble or be weak or not be as great as some of us think maybe it once was. No. We've received something far greater that is announced at Christmas. The very kingdom of God that is unshakable, that will have no end. 
that. And that alone is our hope. What is the reason for the hope within that that we're to be ready to announce? It's that Christ, the Son of God, was born a man in the city of Bethlehem, and by his life and death and resurrection, he has established the kingdom of God. And for that, we say Merry Christmas. For that, we say Merry Christmas. That's the hope we have. Not the hope of lower taxes or less inflation, or military prowess, or of our man being in office, but that the kingdom of God has been established through Christ according to the covenant promises through the birth of this child in the city of David. That's our hope. That's what we rejoice in. Don't reduce it to something less. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. This child, in all his glorious weakness, in all his glorious dependence upon Mary and Joseph, in all of his glorious human inability in that moment, was the Savior of the world. He was the one who would save his people from what? From their sins. He is the one who would deliver us from the wrath of God, which we all justly deserve because of our sin. He is the one who would stand in our place and hang in our place and die in our place that we might have life. This baby whose birth we celebrate is the Savior of the world. This is important for us to remember at this time because we have a tendency to sentimentalize the birth of Jesus into something that that can't sustain life and, and is so saccharine sweet that it turns our stomach. Might we grow up into a richer theology when I was a kid or, or in high school, I would go to soccer practice and then come home and, and I would make myself a plate of, of Eggo waffles covered in butter, made like cinnamon toast with a lot. And then I would stack them up and cover them with syrup. And as a kid, I would eat it and feel great. To defend my parents, they didn't know I did this. <laughs> If I did that now as an adult, I would be sick because I've outgrown some ability to process that level of sugar. We need to outgrow the saccharine, sweet, weak gospel 
that is often proclaimed. We need to grow up into Christ, this baby who was born to die that we might have life. We need we need this rich theology, this stake that God Almighty became flesh to save us because we can't save ourselves. If you're a parent, if you're a parent, you, you know the horror of thinking you might lose a child. Some of you know that horror more than just from imagination because you've lived it. God our Father gave His Son to die to save us that we might have life. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The birth of the Son of God to give life to His people that have been given to Him by saving them from their sin through his death and resurrection. This baby was born as the savior of his people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ. Christ is the Greek, is a transliteration of the Greek word Christos, which is the translation of the, the Hebrew word Masak, or, or what we transliterate as Messiah, the anointed one. And there's, again, just loads of theology wrapped up into this word, this, this title that has come to be heard as, as Jesus' surname. He's the Christ. And there was all kinds of, of messianic expectation in his day of what this Messiah, this anointed one, this Christos would be. He would be this political leader, they thought, who would come and lead and rule decisively and reestablish Israel and drive out Syria. And drive out Rome. And drive out anything that wasn't pure and right. And that's what they were looking for. Just such a Messiah. But they got far more. And so many miss it. Because what they got was one who filled the messianic office of prophet proclaiming what was true to the people of God. What they got was one who fulfilled the messianic office of priest, laying down not the life of a ram, not the life of a bull, but his own life for the sake of his people, that their sin might be covered not by the sprinkled blood of the high priest, but by the very blood of the ultimate and final high priest. What they got, yes, was one who would fulfill also, 
the messianic office of a king. But unlike the king that they looked for, who would establish peace in the land that his people might prosper through military might and political prowess, this king, this messianic savior, he would establish peace in the kingdom of God that his people united to him by faith might prosper and he would do it through his death. This was a Messiah that simultaneously fulfilled and redefined every messianic hope that the people in the first century had. This is a Messiah who must define what our hope is according to what he came to do and not according to the desires of our flesh. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Kurios in Greek used to announce or, or to name who was the sovereign, who was in control. Here, undoubtedly picking up on the language of the Old Testament of Yahweh, that He is the Lord. He is the covenant-keeping God. He is the one who sustains all life. He is the one who speaks everything into existence. He is the one who rules and overrules in the affairs of men. He is the one who perfectly works His sovereign will for His glory and the good of His people. This baby is Lord. He is the one who will reign forever. He is the one who sustains life for all. He is the one who is the covenant-keeping God of Scripture. That's whose birth we celebrate. And no one less than God himself. Come in fulfillment of all messianic hope to save his people and establish his kingdom for all eternity. And he did this by breaking into history and coming to us who have been given to him from before all time. That's whose birth we celebrate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you for what it is that Christ came to do on our behalf. We thank you that you have not left our salvation as a mere theological idea. But established it. Through the coming of your son to us in real time, in real flesh. That we might have a savior who both redeems our sinful flesh and sympathizes with our weakness that he might give mercy 
and help in time of need. Father, set our eyes on Christ as he truly is. We ask in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.